This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for creating a blog, website, portfolio, or an online store. To create your own space, visit squarespace.com and save 10% by using offer code TREK7. And by TrekFan. It's not just a fan club, it's an adventure. You'll explore new places, learn new things, and collaborate with other fans to solve puzzles, complete real-life mission objectives, and win great prizes. Don't miss out. Help us move toward that Star Trek future by visiting trekfan.org. Plus, if you'd like to support our programming personally, visit trek.fm slash donate to get our new alien badges featuring original illustration by Tobu Ushi. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek FM. taking all these books? I thought I'd take some light reading, in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated Star Trek books and comics podcast. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me once again this week, as he always is, is my esteemed co-host Matthew Rushing. Matthew, how are you doing this week? Chris, it's it's going pretty good. Um, you know, uh, you now that we're recording on Thursdays, it's always nice because the next day is Friday, and I really love Fridays because... It's right there at the weekend, and oh, it's been a busy week. So I don't know about you, but I'm I'm hoping to uh, get a little bit of rest and relaxation, a little R and R this weekend. It does look like it's been a busy week for you. You know, I look you look like you're fading out just a little bit. The background behind you is completely white, and your skin's turning blue. So I'm a little worried about you. Yeah, I feel like I'm hanging out with the prophets, or just in some sort of ethereal <laughs> essence place. It's kind of odd. Um, so if I fade in and out audio wise, that's probably why. Something like that, or maybe maybe it's all that Zor energy that's floating around your room, as we'll find out in the future today when we talk about the <laughs> TNG Ghosts comics. Oh, goodness. We are in for a ride today. Uh, So much to talk about, Chris. What can I say? I see dead people. Again? (laughs) That's all I was thinking (laughs) about when I was reading the comic today. (laughs) I see dead people. Yes, yes, I'm with you. Uh, Definitely had that vibe, so... It did. Well, before we get to that, let's jump into our news for this week. And the first thing we have, something we've been talking about on the show a little bit in the last few weeks. And these are covers from the upcoming fall series. And this time we've got the cover to David Mack's A Ceremony of Losses. And we get to see a little bit, maybe a closer view of the new DS9 station here a little bit. But uh, this is a pretty nice cover. Yeah, uh, it's funny because, you know, last week we were just talking about how we hoped that that wasn't the final cover for Una's book because it just doesn't seem to match the grandeur of what we're getting with these these DS9 covers. And uh, I I think I I could hopefully safely say that that can't be the final cover. If it is, I'd be really disappointed. Possibly be because it does not match the what we're getting with these covers where they've given us the new Deep Space Nine and and, you know this one has the great shot of the Defiant being shot by a runabout who's trying to get away. And so 
already, you know, just from looking at this cover, it looks super exciting. I mean, the Una book, unfortunately, was just, you know, the Enterprise E on a red cover. Um, that has to be a temporary cover because, as you said, in the other covers we've seen, we're getting actual scenes of something taking place. Also, as I was doing the enhanced art for last week's show, I kept going online and searching for very large-sized images of Una's cover, and I can't find anything. It's still just this low-resolution image that's available, so that's got to be a temp cover that they're putting out. Yeah, they must be working on something, um, I would hope, rather special for that, especially if it's going to involve Cardassia. Um, you know, there'd just be really neat to see maybe, you know, Cardassia in the background, um, Cardassia Prime. Yeah. Uh, something something like really interesting in that cover. Um, you know, cause these covers have been really magnificent for the other two books, you know, David's book and David's book. So David and David. And, uh, so yeah, I can't imagine that that would really be the thing that they were looking for. And two, they gave us this nice blurb for the book, which I'm really excited to see, um, him following up on Dayton's book, Paths of a Disharmony, which is one of my favorite books in the Ty- Typhon Pack series. Um, it's, it's just a, a really well done book with the uh, Andorians, which plenty of Andorian fight scenes. Uh, I mean, of course, yeah, uh, you can't go wrong. You gotta have those. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fans love their Andorian fight scenes. I don't know what it is. Um, you know, uh, we just, we need, you know, somebody telling us, I've been attacked by an Andorian. It makes me wonder. I bet on Andoria programs like World Wrestling, that type of thing is probably really popular. Of course, it's ice cleaver fighting, but they probably have a whole industry surrounding it. It's probably a big thing. You know, Space UPN probably has that on Andorian television. They probably all have their their stage names, you know, like yeah, the Cutter, exactly. the Cleaver, what's yeah, Captain and, Blueskin. And what's yeah. weird is The Rock is still really popular then as well. Um, he's just, <laughs> right? he, yeah, he's still alive. So it's strange. He, he really is. But yeah, this sounds good. It says that despite heroic efforts, the Andorian species is headed for extinction. Its slow march toward oblivion has reached a tipping point one from which there will be no hope of return. With countless lives at stake, the leaders of Andor, the Federation, and the Typhon Pact all scheme to twist the crisis to their political gain at any price. Unwilling to be a mere bystander to tragedy, Dr. Julian Bashir risks everything to find a cure for the Andorians, but his courage will come at a terrible cost. So, sounds really interesting. Sounds very DS9 there at the end. And, yeah, Looking forward to this. Of course, we gotta, we have to read through the preceding fall books first. So looking forward to that coming out. And also in book news, we have a bit here. This is Scott Harrison, who has a new book coming out called Shadow of the Machine. Now, if I asked you, without looking at the notes here, Matthew, if I asked you, Shadow of the Machine, what event in Star Trek history do you think scott harrison is following up on in this novel the m5 computer could be that um, could be the doomsday machine yeah um you know uh isn't there that you know taste of armageddon taste of armageddon they have yeah. their machines um you know it could be 
for the world is hollow and I have touched the sky, you know, because there's a machine there. Uh, there's a lot of machines all kinds in of Star things, Trek. Right? Yeah, I mean... A lot of um, machines. Yeah, It could definitely. be someone standing nearby Data on a sunny day and the shadow is being cast from Data across them. Yeah, um, so it's, it's weird when you think about it, how many Star Trek episodes involve some sort of machine, you know, in the next generation... They're, they're a little more benevolent. You know, Data's a nice machine. But, uh, you know, in, in the TOS era, they're almost always bad, and Kirk must stop them. Yeah. Uh, he usually uses word jujitsu. As the guys on Mission Log like to talk about, you know, uh, the word jujitsu that, that Kirk likes to get into with the, the robots or the, you know, the, the computers and everything. It's, it's always funny. So, I don't know, Chris. Anything come to mind for you? Well, it's actually none of these. As it turns out, this novel, or actually it's a novella, it's going to be available as an ebook, is following up on the aftermath of the Enterprise crew's encounter with V'ger in Star Trek The Motion Picture, as the Enterprise returns to dry dock to finish its refit. This is exciting. I think, you know, Christopher Bennett wrote a great follow-up to this, and I, I really enjoyed this time period. I think it's a fantastic time period to kind of plumb, because there's a lot of things that change between the motion picture and the Wrath of Khan. Um, and, and really dealing with kind of the fallout of this whole thing, I think it would be really interesting, especially, you know, I mean, losing Decker and Ilea, um to a machine like that, that's got to cause some ruffled feathers in uh, the Admiralty. I mean, uh, they might adjust their belt buckles for that. <laughs> they might. <laughs> That's what happens. Something bad happens like that, and the Admirals, they give a, a little tug to the belt buckle, situate it back in place. Or they, they have their shoulder pads raised, you know. And... <laughs> <laughs> Every time something bad happens, their shoulder pads get raised like another, like a centimeter, so... <laughs> After enough bad things happen, that's when you see the admirals that have like the, the really, really huge shoulder pads. You know, they've really seen some stuff in their time. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm excited. I really, I really do like um, these uh, e-novellas. Uh, one, um, because it gives the writers, we talked about, I think before, the, the ability to tell a very compact, concise story. You know, so you have one or two story threads that you're really trying to get through. Um, and you don't have to worry about a lot of extraneous material. And I think that that focus really helps the storytelling. And so, yeah, I, I'm really excited to see them really get into this uh, and give us more of these kind of works. Um, and I think it's going to be really good as they continue to do this. We already have the one about Dr. McCoy going to be coming out. Um, this one, I think it's awesome. So... It'll be fun to see. Yeah. You know, I, I like Star Trek, the motion picture personally. I know a lot of fans aren't huge fans of it, but I like it. And, you know, when you kind of follow up is fun as well. So looking forward to this coming out as well. So moving into comic news, Matthew, this is an interesting little thing here. This is Comics in Motion. It's IDW teaming up with Madefire to bring comics to life. And, and we've got a little first look for everyone here. IDW and Motion Books bring you The Transformers. 
My Little Pony, and Star Trek. And Chris, I mean, this is so exciting, you know, getting motion comics. I mean, what can you, I mean, it couldn't be any more exciting, you know. Uh, and I'm just thinking about, okay, who do you have narrated? So I'm thinking, <laughs> what if we get Bane from The Dark Knight Rises? And oh, so we could, you know, Oh, you merely adopted the comics, but we have put them in motion for you. I mean, isn't that exciting? <laughs> Don't you want to read it? I, I would love that. I'd love to have, you know, like a, a five issue series that's going to take me, you know, two, three hours to listen to it being narrated and, and have that voice in my ear the entire time. How wonderful would that be? I I can't imagine a better motion comic. <laughs> I want to watch this right now. But in all seriousness, this is an interesting idea. I I was um, reading, I think it was actually on Macworld yesterday. They had a story about comicsology, and they were talking about how comicsology is really leading the way in a resurgence of comic publishing. And I think that... You see here, like with IDW, this resurgence and digital comics in particular, that now they're starting to move. They've moved us from paper to digital, and now they're going into this motion comic realm. And it really does feel kind of like a resurgence for comics. You know, and it's really great to see. I think, you know, digital comics have really taken off. Um, You know, over at DC, Jim uh, Lee was a huge proponent of digital comics for them. And it's really helped push that um, forward. And they're doing a lot of neat things with comics that you just couldn't do on paper. And, and really getting a chance, I think, in some ways to celebrate the artwork um, by giving you it in such high depth. You know, I love reading the comics in uh, the iPad with the retina screen because they look so good. And I feel it's really doing justice to what those artists are doing these days, really ramping up their game and giving us their best. So I'm excited to see anything that really helps further comics. And so this is great. I think it'll be fun to see how this goes. Um, I've seen a couple of motion comics um, before. Uh, I've seen a couple of Star Wars ones that were really cool. And the sound effects and some narration and stuff. It's great. Uh, it's you know, if it's done well, it's it's a lot of fun to be able to kind of watch a mini comic movie. Yeah, it sounds really interesting. I haven't seen any myself yet. I'll have to try to check. Maybe Star Wars one I might be interested in. I might check that out before these come out. But you can also go over to madefire.deviantart.com to their page on DeviantArt, and they have some samples of other ones they've done there. They have videos and such. And apart from the sound effects and music and such that you mentioned there, it says that some titles even have interactive elements, such as being able to move the virtual camera around a setting. And so if I think about some of the Star Trek comics that we've read, even the one we're going to talk about in a moment, Ongoing 23, when we're down there on Vulcan and we're on New Vulcan, and we were in the, the lava pits, being able to pan around that like you're actually there, that would be a really cool feature. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I think that uh, it also gives the artist the ability to really play around with kind of the 3D nature of what you can do in a computer when you're drawing a computer and everything. It gives them just something new to try and do something different. And so I'm excited to see where this will take. 
comics and, and what it'll even maybe hopefully do for IDW and its Star Trek comics as well. So I hope they'll have a scene where Chekhov is running down the corridor and you get to see it from his perspective as he's running down going, I can do that. I can do that. <laughs> that would be awesome. I uh, I think that that does need to be one of like the first scenes in the comic. Just Chekhov <laughs> running somewhere talking about how he can do that. And so just opens up that way. All right. So we'll keep our eyes open on this as well. There's no information on release dates for this yet either. But it's going to be available for iOS devices when it comes out. Also, there will be a browser-based release on DeviantArt. So you'll be able to catch it there if you don't have an iOS device. All right, Matthew. Yesterday, finally, Star Trek Ongoing number 23, the continuation of After Darkness dropped. We've both gotten it. We've both read it. And what'd you think? You know, Chris, um, I don't know. Uh, it was a, I'm, I'm glad that they, they, you know, the story kind of finally wrapped up, but I feel like that really the most important part of the story wasn't given enough play. I feel like what I really want to know about is this conspiracy that's going on in the background with section 31. Um, you know, the, the way that they're playing the Romulans, the Klingons, and the Federation all together. And, um, yeah, I feel like that that is just kind of lost for this story that's not quite as interesting with Spock and, um, you know, the Ponfar and the new Vulcan and everything and how the Vulcans really just can't go through Ponfar right anymore because they're not home. And so we're going to give the most ridiculous explanation ever with uh, the, you know, the transporters about how we can make them pretend that they're on New Vulcan for enough time. Yeah. That they, yeah. I mean, it, it's probably the most techno-babbled thing I've ever heard. It was a very Voyager solution to the problem, wasn't it? It was just very much, look, we're going to tech the tech and tech the tech, and now Spock's okay and all the Vulcans are okay. Yeah, It's basically like people are upset that in the JJ universe, they destroyed Vulcan. Well, now they're also destroying the whole concept of Ponfar as well. So now right. Ponfar is not going to be a thing anymore in this timeline in Star Trek. Yeah, it, it, it's a very uh, strange thing um, to, to see them kind of change what that means. Uh, um, I thought it was interesting, you know, that they do make Ponfar something that was really linked to Vulcan itself, you know, um, that's interesting. Yeah, it was a great, you know, that's a great addition. Um, but then to just kind of uh, take it away and, and make it not as important by having them be able to just go through a transporter beam now um, is is a little bit. I don't know. It, it, again, I, I think you're right. It, it just feels very uh, Voyager red reset button. Um, we're going to we're going to figure out a way. So it, it's yeah, it's OK. I, I, again, I'm really looking forward to seeing where this is going to go in the future comics with this war and what we've talked about where it's going to go um the fact that they're actually going to is going to be a big confrontation between the romulans and the klingons and uh somehow the enterprise is going to be involved with this uh and i'm really hoping to figure out obviously who's behind this whole section 31 thing because the very end page spoilers we're going to get little spoilers here they show the cryo <laughs> given tubes. spoilers. <laughs> yeah, they show the cryo tubes uh, that um, yeah. Harrison and his yeah. people are in, and that 
is really interesting. Well, well, they're not they're they're not actually cryo tubes though, right? They're torpedoes. They're, they're the ones we saw in the movie in Star Trek Into Darkness, which of course yeah. Harrison converted to be cryo tubes. Right. Exactly. But the actual casing were torpedoes, and so we don't really know. We don't know if these are just normal torpedoes or if they do have some relation to the augments. We don't know at this point. We know where it's leading. So, you know, based on Star Trek Into Darkness, my guess would be that it does have some sort of augment angle because we know from the movie that the augments were not destroyed, that they did take them out of those casings. Exactly. Um, And I think that, you know... um, from every indication we kind of got from where the next film might go, it doesn't seem like it's really going to touch on them at all. So it gives the comics the opportunity to really play with this. Um, we are going to get yeah. the, the con miniseries. Um, and uh, it really gives us an opportunity to use those characters and, and create some mischief and have a lot of fun um, and maybe even see the end of them. Um, in the comic series, so that by the time they get to the next movie, it, it's not even an issue. But I think that makes these comics really important, and I, that's exciting to me. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting. I felt like this comic was kind of a bridge between the intrigue of the Romulans Klingon Section 31, like you mentioned, that we got in 22, and what we know is going to be coming up in 24, 25, 26 going on. This one really felt like a just kind of like a bridge. Like we've just got to get the story from here to there. And all the stuff surrounding Spock and New Vulcan and all just kind of felt like it's almost like they they set this up that Ponfar was gonna affect Spock in the last comic. And then they had to finish it. But it, it's kind of I don't know. It wasn't particularly an interesting storyline to me. It's not really what I want to see going on in the comics. It, it didn't move me. It didn't make me feel any particular thing about Spock's character, mm-hmm. even. There's yeah. some interesting stuff in here. And even though we, we know we've mentioned a few specific points here, there is some more stuff going on in this comic that, that we're not mentioning here. Uh, there's some interesting stuff in there about Uhura and Spock and kind of their back history. And that actually made me feel a little bit better about Uhura than I have in some of the recent stuff. Just a little bit, even though it's a tiny moment. But yeah, I don't know. I've kind of so-so on, on 23 myself. Yeah, well, and I think, you, like you said, it um, it does give us a nice bridge. It'll be interesting. The next episode is uh, with the Gorn. Um, so that, I think, should be an interesting thing to see um, what they do there. Obviously, it'll be a tie-in to um, what we saw in the video game for anybody who's played that. So they're really mixing everything together and kind of bringing it all together. So I think that's an awesome thing to see. You're going to have some that uh, don't meet your expectations. And and for me, this was just kind of a a lackluster end to After Darkness. Although the artwork was quite nice, I will say, especially the scenes down in the lava pits on New Vulcan, um, especially on the iPad with the HD comic, it was really beautifully done. So I was really happy with the artwork. And also I was happy with the size of the type. After reading TNG Ghosts, which we're about to talk about, I felt like I got the, you know, the jumbo edition books that they make for for you when you get older and you can't see as well anymore and you have the large print. After going from Ghosts to Ongoing 23, I felt 
kind of like I had the large print edition from IDW. So I, I kind of appreciated that, to be honest. <laughs> I agree with you. Um, you know, reading through <laughs> Ghosts, as we'll talk about, there is a lot of text going on in that comic. And it, it is um, smaller than normal because there's there's so much compressed on so many of those pages. And, you know, you, yeah. you know it, it's nice that you can pinch and everything on, a, on an iPad. You can make it bigger and whatnot. So... Yeah, it, it's, this is, uh, I do think, I have to say, you know, if I was going to grade this, you know, story-wise, I'd probably give this, like, B-, minus, probably a C, um, but artwork-wise, it's fantastic, it's really beautiful, um, and, and to me, that's an A, so I, I really like when they do this artwork style a lot, because um, they've done it before in the Mirror Universe, I think, is the same kind of style, um, and so I really enjoy this, because it, it gives it kind of that... I don't know, like a painting feeling. And I really enjoy that in my comics. Yeah, yeah, same here. And my ratings are probably about the same as yours. I'd probably give it, yeah, like a B minus overall. I'd give it an A for artwork. So anyway, go pick that up if you've been following ongoing. It's certainly worth reading. It's important for you to read, actually. There is some stuff in there that you'll need to know, as I said, to bridge the gap between what you've read before and what is to come. So go pick that up. Well, that's everything we have in news this week, Matthew. But before we jump into our TNG feature, let's tell everyone about our sponsor for this week's show, Squarespace. Now, if if you want to share your love of Star Trek books and comics, maybe you want to write articles, you want to you know share your insights, you want to set up a small website for yourself to do that, there's no better way to do it than with Squarespace because Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that includes both hosting and CMS, and it makes it fast and easy for you to set up a personal blog, a website, even a large business website, an online store, you know, a portfolio if you're a designer. You can do anything with Squarespace, and they're constantly improving the platform with new features and new designs and even better support, which is amazing to me because they already have such fantastic support. I'm not sure how you make it better, but that is something that they're working on all the time. It's just incredibly easy to use. And it's very inexpensive, starting at just $8 per month. And the way you build sites with Squarespace is very simple using Layout Engine. You drag content blocks onto the page. You can arrange them. The system writes all the code behind the scenes for you, so you don't have to do anything. And the responsive design makes sure that your site looks beautiful on any desktop screen, on any mobile device. It doesn't matter the size or the orientation. It all flows into a beautiful package. Now, Matthew, today, why don't we tell everyone about three points of Squarespace that really set it apart from the other options out there? Well, Chris, one of the favorites that uh, I see with Squarespace and just one of the things they really excel at is being design focused. And Chris, I know you as a designer and and I, I'm, a, I'm a lay designer. I, I just like good design, but I don't know how to do it. Is that on your card, Matthew Rushing, lay designer? Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> one of the things that I just really like about Squarespace is the fact that it makes it easy. You know, if you like design, if you want your site to look good, but you don't know how to do it, they have amazing templates that are clean and easy and really allow your content to be the focus of your website. So maybe you want to celebrate Star Trek comics or you want to celebrate Star Trek novels. 
What a great way to do that in a clean and easy way. You want to start reviewing them or something like that. This is the perfect place to be able to do that. And then the best part about this is, Chris, is you get connecting accounts. You can connect your Twitter, your Facebook, your LinkedIn, Pinterest, Google, Instagram, I mean, any web service pretty much that you want and be able to share what you're publishing on your Squarespace site all over the place and so that people will come to your site. And and it's easy and simple to do. And then like you were saying, Chris, it's a responsive design. So I don't know about you, but I tend to use my iPad a lot or my iPhone. And I really dislike websites that are very clunky and, and hard to use when I'm on my phone, especially. And Squarespace does a great job of creating a site that works on all platforms. So whether you're on a 27-inch iMac or you're on your iPhone 5, this is going to be the spot for you. It's going to look fantastic. Absolutely. The connected accounts are really nice because, you know, I spend a lot of time promoting things in social media for Trek FM. And I, you know, have to go to this place or that place to share the information, you know, about new episodes and what you have on there. And what's great about Squarespace is that because of the connected accounts, you can easily just push that out. You can even automate and have it automatically tweet your new post. When you put it on the site, if you want to, you can share a page from your site on Facebook to your Facebook page automatically. You can do that from the Facebook interface, in fact, which is really, really fantastic. So really, Squarespace, not only does it make it easy for you to focus on your content and quickly put together a beautiful site, it also makes it very easy for you to get that information out to the world. And that's another of the wonderful things about Squarespace. So try it out for yourself. We'd love for you to go and try it free for 14 days. There's no credit card required. You just put in your name and your email address Squarespace will set up a trial site for you right on the spot. You have access to all the features of Squarespace for 14 days. You can import your existing site from platforms like WordPress if you'd like. You can see how it's going to look. You can play around with the tools. You can see how Squarespace makes it really fast and easy for you to do amazing things with your content. And then after 14 days, when you sign up, and I know you're going to want to, you can save 10% using our offer code TREK7. That's a special offer from Squarespace for Trek FM listeners. And if you choose the annual package, you'll actually get a free domain registration as well. So, you know, you can register elmrushing02laydesigner.com, whatever (laughs) you want to have like that. You can get that custom domain. You can tie it in. And in just a matter of minutes, you can have a beautiful site up and running with Squarespace. So please go and try them out. The best hosting, the best CMS, the best support you'll find anywhere in the industry. Go to squarespace.com, use offer code TREK7 to save 10%. And we thank Squarespace for their support. And we thank you, our listeners, for supporting Squarespace. And that makes it possible for us to bring literary tricks to you every week. So tonight, Chris and I are going to be talking about some TNG comics. Last week, we did Deep Space Nine and the Fool's Gold series, and we thought this week it would be kind of fun to do some great TNG comics called Ghosts. Um, Ghosts is a five-part Star Trek The Next Generation comic book series, and it was published by IDW in November of 2009. And uh, the series was written by Xander Cannon, and the artwork is by Xavier Aranda. And so tonight we're going to be diving into this comic book series. And Chris, you know, just as we always kind of do, um, you know, as you've read through the whole thing, um, and this is a longer series because it is five comics instead of four, which a lot of series tend to be these days when they're just going to be a standalone 
What did you think? I enjoyed it. I thought that for the most part, it felt like a TNG episode. It actually felt possibly like a two-part TNG episode. As I was getting, eh, I don't know, maybe I was getting into the fourth chapter, the fourth issue, I was feeling like they've done enough stuff now that if this were on the screen, they probably would have had to wrap up the first half to be continued, and then we would be into a a two-parter the following week. And I felt like about halfway through the story, I was thinking so far, this story is very true to TNG. You know, Picard is acting as a diplomat between two warring factions. There's a planet that wants to become part of the Federation. There's a mystery aboard an alien ship. Dr. Crusher's trying to figure it out, but she can't. So Geordi figures it out himself by playing what I call narrow down with the computer. Now, narrow down, do you, do you know this game on TNG? It's my, yeah, it's my fave. <laughs> right? Narrow down is awesome. Narrow down is where you ask the computer a question and you ask it to tell you how many things match the criteria that you've set. And then you pull one away. It's kind of like Jenga, you know, in Jenga, how you pull the, you pull the, the, the block out. And you, you, you hope the whole tower doesn't fall down. You pull things out one by one, one by one, and then the computer keeps bringing it down until you've got like four or five left. And then you stick them on a pad and you go have a staff meeting about it. So, so Jordy gets to figure it out by playing narrow down. Then Picard gets called to sick bay to talk to everybody. It's just like a TNG episode. It was great. Um, I love the fact <laughs> that they asked the computer to narrow things down and it, you know, literally panel by panel, it narrowed things down. <laughs> right. and- so, yeah, it was so much fun uh, in that sense that in a lot of ways, I, I do think that, um, you know, this comic does get the spirit in, in sense of a TNG episode. It does. Yeah, it, it really does feel like something you would see in one of those seasons, um, you know, like a fourth or uh, kind of a fifth season episode. Um, and so that part I really liked, you know, a lot like last year. Let me ask you this question. Do you think that this story as a two-parter would have made a better two-parter than Gambit? Yes, I think it probably yeah, would. Have. I think so too. I think it would have yeah. So it has a good TNG feel to it. And we've basically got a story here that if I boiled it down, I guess I would say that it's sort of a parallel to Germany. It's kind of East Germany, West Germany. It's kind of the Berlin Wall after World War II has been over for a while. Uh, it also has a bit of the, you know, industrialization here on Earth and how different countries got there first. You know, you kind of look today like how China's trying to catch up with uh, everyone, which, of course, you could look at them in one sense and think, well, they've already caught up. But, you know, a lot of this stuff is still, they're going through what the U.S. and, and a lot of Europe went through a long time ago. You get a little bit of that feel here, and so you've got these two factions that distrust each other, and then you've got some sort of, of it, at times it's presented as an energy source. I guess it is an energy source. It just depends on what they're using it for. That sort of parallels plutonium, you know, it sort of parallels uh, the, the rise of nuclear power and accidents and all here, and it kind of basically all boils down to that in a nutshell, even though it takes five issues to tell that whole story. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, we were talking a little bit before the show 
I think that's something that uh, kind of loses me a little bit is that it takes five issues to tell this story. And there's a lot of repeated material, um, whereas I think it would have been helpful if it was only four issues because it would have compressed yeah. some of the things um, and made it a little bit more streamlined. And it really would have felt more like an episode of the show, whereas they draw some things out too many times for you. And there's some there's some. Things within the story, I think, that don't really get played out enough, but they kind of mention them, and then they'll mention them again, but they don't fit as organically into the story as they should, especially, I think, the whole Deanna and Picard issue, which really does not seem to fit. Where Deanna's just constantly like, why won't Picard open up to everybody? Why won't he talk to everybody? Why won't he come down here and talk to me? Exactly. Yeah. um, It it didn't really, um, you know, seem to, that's one of the things that didn't seem to fit in the spirit of the show. The other parts of how her character were used were were very much TNG, but this kind of, I don't know, berating of the captain for his like emotional distance seems very off, especially since, you know, this isn't the Picard that we know from after generations or whatever. He's had his huge breakdown in front of her about his family yeah. and everything. And so I don't really see this as being something you see played out in the series. And that part just doesn't fit for me with their character interaction. Yeah, I agree. It did feel a little bit odd. Um, the fact that she brings it up once, it was okay for me. Although I was thinking, like you said, I was thinking more of generations when he finds out that Renee's been killed in the fire and she wants him to really open up and talk. But that was okay, even though this comes earlier on the timeline, but it just kept on and on, which, yeah, was a little bit odd. And I also felt like the Troy elements where she's trying to get this researcher whose name is apparently Everude. That's E-V-E-R-U-U-D. He wasn't very rude. He was actually just kind of nervous most of the time. Yeah, he's really a nice guy, actually. You know, he just, yeah, uh, I mean, he's just seeing dead people. I mean, wouldn't you be upset? Right. I mean, if you're a nice guy and your parents name you ever rude, it's got to be tough to go through life. Yeah. I feel like you just get made fun of at school a lot. You know, when people talk about you, they always say, you know, you know that guy ever rude? He's a nice guy. Don't get me wrong, but... Every conversation about him starts that way. Poor guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, really was. But when she's trying to get him to talk, like all those scenes with going back and forth with her and him, it seemed like you said, it's almost like padding a little bit. I felt like they were. Yeah, I think those are the things where it just, it could have been compressed. And there's, there's too many things that kind of get said over and over again in different scenes that could need to be only once. And uh, there's a lot of conversations um, that happen um, that they kind of get replayed over and over again. Bah! Yes. I'm dismissing you, just like the Derotians would. Exactly. Bah! Um, <laughs> Everything you say to them, they're like, bah! <laughs> yeah, it, it's, I mean, it, it's just kind of, I don't know, there's too much of that. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about, too, there's a lot of panels on a lot of different pages where there's just a lot of text. And there will literally be 
three boxes across, three boxes down. So you have nine whole boxes in, in, in telling you a story. And some of that's really effective. And some of the times it's just there's so much, you know, text and everything going on, it loses kind of the comiciness. Yeah. So. Well, it's like a graphic novel at this point. You know, yeah. it's not really, it's not like an ongoing comic. So let's give everyone the setup anyway, what the story is. So there's this planet, Alios 4, and there are two factions on the planet. There are the Juleshians and the Daroshians. And I guess I'm pronouncing those correctly. It's mm-hmm. kind of hard to know. They they like to repeat letters. So like the Juleshians are J-U-U-L-E-T-I-A-N-S. And the Daroshians are D-O-R-O-S-S-H-I-A-N-S. Because, you know, when you repeat letters, it makes things alien. And that's what they're doing in here to come up with the names. And it makes it really hard for us to read, especially like the daughter of the Daroshian Supreme Elder, whose name is Kalkas. That's right, Kalkas, K-A-L-K-A-S-S. Mm-hmm. His daughter is Warwick, W-O-R-I-K-K. So these guys on this planet, they love their their double vowels, their double consonants. They really do. <laughs> So these are the two factions, and they're at war with each other. And I guess the Daroshans were the more advanced society on the planet, and the Juleshans were trying to rise up to the same level and were allegedly, at least the way they want to present themselves, more peaceful. And the Daroshans were more warlike. And this planet, Alios IV, has submitted an application to be part of the Federation. But the application keeps getting shelved because they're not making enough social progress. And the Juleshans are claiming to speak on behalf of the entire planet, even though the planet is basically on the brink of war all the time. And they've got this wall built between the two of them. As I was mentioning at the start of our discussion here, it's kind of like the Berlin Wall. And even as the way that they describe the two sides, it's very much like uh, West Germany, East Germany type setup that they have going here with maybe a little bit more of an extreme difference between the two of them technologically. But that's what's going on. And the Enterprise goes, they respond to a distress signal, and then they they go over to this Juleshian ship. They find that... All but one person on the ship has been vaporized by some kind of mystery energy. And there's this one person who's still there, which is the researcher, Everrude. He's a nice guy, don't get me wrong, but he's just there on the ship. And and that's how the Enterprise gets caught in the middle of all this. And that's what, you know, sets the whole story into motion. So so that's where we are. That's the setup of the comic. Well, and and um I think that uh what's really Great setup here, too, is that when they see this guy that is lying on the ground, he's missing an arm, he's missing a leg, he's missing part of his stomach. Um, so this is really weird. Um, you know, you're wondering what in the heck is going on? How's this guy alive? I mean, it is a fantastic, great setup to, you know, a kind of classic TNG episode in mystery. It is. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So that, oh, speaking of the Supreme Elder's daughter, Warwick, you know, they're sitting, they talk in here about how the different elders died, and that's something we'll get to, we'll find out what was really going on here, but 
these Doroshan elders keep dying. And then they get to the point where Calchas is the only one left of the elders. And then he has his daughter Warwick. And they talk about how they sing traditional songs of reconciliation uh, when these elders pass away. And I was thinking, Warwick, Warwick? Is his daughter Space Dion Warwick? Um, is the traditional <laughs> song of reconciliation? Is it that's what friends are for? Is that what's going on on Alios Four? That's what Alios is for. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! And well, and it's yeah. Goodness, um, man, you got me all flustered, Chris. Now I'm just thinking about Dion Warwick, and I just want to start singing to everybody. Um, what I what I think is really interesting about this comic too is that it's one of those classic places where Picard and his um, mediation is really put to the test. He and, and, and in fact, you know, for so much of this comic, um, what Picard normally does that works isn't working with these people. He's not able to reach them. And I think that was a really interesting part that I liked seeing is this kind of character study of Picard and just um, we're used to him being able to go into a, a situation, be able to talk sense into people, and by the end of the episode, they're going to be fine. But majority of this comic, Picard kind of flounders. Like everything that he does doesn't really impact these people. And I think that that is just a really interesting thing to see. I, I, I'm kind of, you know, uh, I like seeing that Picard and his diplomacy can't always win the situation. And really what wins this situation is the science of the episode, not Picard being, you know, um, super diplomat. Right. I, I think that, and you see it in the artwork, you see the frustration on his face a lot of the time that he just, he can't believe the reaction that he's getting from these people. I also think that Picard, generally speaking, in the 24th century, the Federation is rather arrogant. I think, you know, they expect, they go into these places, they go to these planets and they feel like because they're the Federation, Everyone is going to go, oh, wow, you know, you're the Federation. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to do whatever you say, which is, and, you know, not to offend any of our listeners, but me, you know, being someone who does not live in the United States, this is the impression that a lot of the world gets of the United States as well, that it's lessening a little bit these days because the U.S. has been bumping up against a lot more resistance. But during my lifetime, you know, growing up through the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, there's this kind of impression that the U.S. is like this as well. You know, the, the U.S. feels like the rest of the world will listen and just do whatever they're saying because they are the United States. And that's transferred here over to the Federation a little bit. So Picard feels like he can just go in. And also the fact that Alios Four wants to become part of the Federation, they actually have a pending application. I'm sure going in, Picard thought this was going to be really easy. You know, of course, they're going to listen to me. I'm the captain of the flagship. They're applying to be part of our organization, our Federation anyway. They're going to listen to me. And and then he comes up to the other side here, the Derotians, who really don't care at all about the Federation. They really don't even want the Federation there. They don't want Alios Ford to be part of the Federation. And uh, they really, Picard and the Enterprise don't mean anything to them other than 
it's an obstacle that's in their way. And Picard isn't prepared for something like that, I think. Yeah, and I think um, it really plays out too. And uh, there is a little tiny part of what happens between um, kind of him and Deanna that I think is interesting. And it plays out in the fact that Picard is thinking a little bit about his mortality. I think that's really interesting to watch Picard have to wrestle through because um, it's not something that's touched on a ton in the series. You know, you really see that in kind of best of both worlds, him dealing with that and then in family. And then, of course, you see it in generations. But you would think that a man of Picard's age, even in the Federation, it would be something that would be more of a thought. I mean, we watched Kirk go through it in um, Star Trek Two, the idea of him getting older. Uh, and he's not even as old as Picard is. And so... Um, this idea of, of the, the people he's lost under his command and all of those things kind of running through his head in this scenario, I thought was just really interesting to kind of get inside Picard's head and see that there is really a lot going on emotionally. He just doesn't necessarily show it on the outside to everybody else. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. So he, you know, he tries to deal with them. It's really not working. And then we do, we, we get over to the science side a little bit, as we talked about earlier. There, there are a lot of scenes in sickbay. A lot of the story takes place in sickbay. And you've got Beverly and you've got Jordy. And I already talked about Jordy playing narrow down with computer. But what was interesting is, and this is something that I like on the series, when they have some sort of mystery going on that they have to analyze and they have to take a scientific approach. And Beverly is noticing that the cells, like if you zoom in on the cells in Everud's body, that the cells themselves have been sliced by the explosion. But the slice, if you look really closely and over time, the slice moves and the cells seem to be getting bigger, like they're gaining mass from some kind of mysterious place. And so then we get this really interesting idea of playing with space-time. And they Jordy suspects that the energy is shifting matter from one dimension to another. And then we get into kind of the interesting exploration, and then they really start investigating what exactly is this energy. And that leads to, well, more of the political intrigue as well as uh, the away missions to the planet, which of course we need. And and I like that they send Worf to the Derotian side because they're more warlike. And then they send Data down to the Juleshian side because Picard feels that they'll, they'll be good matches for each other. Yeah, I, I thought that this was um, just a great use of, of character. You know, um, they are, the writers are really understanding um, just who would be able to speak to each side and, you know, Worf really being able to handle what happens to him. I mean, he gets captured, he gets tortured. I really loved the look of um, the page where he knows he's about to die and Worf is uh, in some ways just imagining himself standing at Grethor because he's going to die dishonorably and and not honorably. And I thought that that was just a beautiful thing. And I really loved the fact that in the comic too, I felt like this takes place after something like redemption so that you see um, that kind of uh, Klingon spirituality really coming out in Worf. And uh, I thought that that was really fun. Um, It reminded me more of 
that talk consistently about Stovacor and, and Grethor and, and the warrior way of life and everything really reminded me of those later seasons of TNG. And then, of course, what we get in Deep Space Nine. Yeah, I liked those as well. And at, and that scene when he's standing there, a copy on that page, it says, we are still alive. We may still change our fortune. And I thought that summed up the overall story. Mm-hmm. Again, what what I took from this story was a lot of a message about letting go of the past, but not forgetting the past. And I really applied it because of the two factions here, applied it to the real world and the the idea that, you know, to move forward, because this planet wants to be part of the Federation, but they need to be more united before their application will ever be approved. And to move forward, you know, we have to let go of the past. We have to let go of those disagreements and conflicts that we have. And again, I'm thinking of, you know, the analogies of the the first two world wars that they're kind of drawing here a bit and the aftermath of that. But also we can't completely forget what happened in the past because we have to learn the lessons from that. And that comes in a little bit where we see this conflict between Calchas and Warwick, you know, the father and daughter who Calchas really is telling his daughter, you know, you need to look to the past. You need to respect your elders and then you'll learn from that. And then one day you can be an elder, but Warwick is talking to Worf and Calchas as well. And just saying, you know, you've got to let all this stuff go. You got to be forward thinking and forget about the past, forget about all of this. And so there's this tug of war that, that I feel in the world today between people who want to hang on to the past, you know, like we see a lot of resurgence of, of ancient rivalries and, you know, hatreds between different nations and different ethnic groups that seem to have died down for a while. And then they seem to be coming back a little bit. And I I think there's always that struggle to let go. And, and that just that phrase on that page, again, where Worf is standing there at those gates reminded me of that. And it plays in, you know, later, not not long after that, where Worf actually frees himself and puts up one last fight. You know, he's not ready to give up yet. He realizes that he is still alive. Yeah, I, I love that scene, too, where <laughs> Worf, like, pulls his hands. Like, did he just yeah. realize that he could pull his hands through? Or was he just <laughs> waiting for the opportune moment? Because it's like, you, like, really? You can You can just get your hands right out of there the whole time? And you're just like now. Yeah, Yeah. I I thought that was awesome. (laughs) I mean, they didn't even say that he broke the chains or anything. He just he just manned up and pulled his hands out. (laughs) I guess. Yeah, I don't know what happened there. Maybe. Well, it couldn't be the case right now because he hasn't been on Deep Space Nine yet. I was going to say maybe he learned a few tricks from Odo, but he hasn't met Odo yet. So I don't know how he pulled that off. It's still a big mystery to me. But it. But he got free, so oh well. <laughs> well, and um, what I thought was really interesting too, Chris, is you were talking about how we play with space time in this comic, and there was this great idea of Narud being the tether to the space that they are in, that these people get mm-hmm. thrown into, and that they need him. And I just thought this is a really cool idea. I mean, this is where. Uh, I felt like this is a very next generation episode. It's not so techno babbly that I'm really getting lost. I can kind of go with the science that they're giving me and everything. And uh, it's just 
it's good stuff. I felt like this feels just like an episode of TNG, and I wasn't questioning it or just feeling like it was so dumb. There are a couple times, I think, where some of the techno babble, especially with Jordy, gets uh-huh. a little bit much. But uh, I feel like it was one of those scenes where the writer was like, techno babble, techno babble, techno babble, and we get to hear, you know. Um, but I really like that. I, I thought that that was really cool. What did you think about that idea? Because it could go either way with a reader. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, I'll agree that it's, it's very TNG. And these are the kind of stories I like. I like episodes like Timescape, for example, on TNG, you know, where Picard and Data and Jordy and Troy are coming back and there's that like space-time distortion and they come on and there are Romulans on the ship and everything's frozen in time. It just, those types of, of episodes really interest me. And so I like this idea of him being split. And it's really creepy though, like when they're, when they're in the other space and everything's white, like I mentioned to you at the beginning of the show today, and everything's white and they go out in search of, of something. And then they come and they find Everud's arm and leg just lying there on the ground. But, you know, we know that in sickbay, his arm and leg are missing. And then here in this other space, there's just his arm and just his leg. It was really kind of creepy. But it was also, it's kind of a cool concept that somehow those points in space are overlapping one another. And then part of him is in one space and part of him is in another space or another dimension. Talking about technobabble, though, and sometimes get a little bit much, what did you think when Everude is explaining about the ore and he talks about how his wife was uh, vanished when they were working in the laboratory? And he says, we called it ore property 671, core relative persistence. And I thought, huh? <laughs> it's, like, it's like a Borg designation for ore properties or what? Yeah, um, I when that happened, I just kind of laughed because it almost felt like the writer was kind of giving you a wink and like, we know how crazy this is. Um, <laughs> right. And uh, so it, it's more fun to, to just make it up. And so, I'm waiting for that that book to come out. The you know we had the rules of acquisition book that listed all the rules of acquisition. I'm waiting for that book that lists all the ore properties because I want to know what the first 670 ore properties are. Is that like the rules of acquisition? Like um, so, but it's the ore properties, and there's even more of them. So you know, ore property number two sixty five. It's actually kryptonite. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Or, or property 42, tastes great, less filling. <laughs> okay, that's really funny. <laughs> oh, goodness. I want to yeah. know what those other or properties are. I think I think we need this. Uh, maybe we can get Larry to write that non-canon, uh, but uh, also non-fiction book on or properties. I think so. Reference books, I mean, they're, they're becoming more popular recently. Uh, I think this one would be huge. Or yeah, 47 North can publish stuff. it. Yeah, that'll be good. So, okay, as we go along, you know, all this stuff happens. There's a lot of bickering between the Enterprise crew and the Derotians, especially. And Picard, you know, the, the Derotians decide to attack the Julesian ship that's in orbit. They they launch all these missiles at it, and the Enterprise comes in to block it, and Picard vanishes, and he ends up in this other space. And then Riker 
ends up in command of the ship. And Riker is really pissed at this point, isn't he? Yeah, um, I I really liked um, seeing the difference between you know Riker and Picard. Um, I really felt like in a lot of ways they were doing a good job in this comic of, of showing just how Riker is more of that kind of Kirk kind of character, and that he he doesn't quite have the patience. But I felt like what was really interesting is that Riker is also his instincts were actually right that he he instinctively knew that the Juleshans aren't telling the whole truth. And then he kind of gets suckered in for a while. And then his his worst fears are really revealed that they have been using this as a weapon. So really just enjoy the fact that they're playing the difference between uh, Picard and Riker. And I, in fact, I even like that Riker does a great job of saying, well, Picard wouldn't have done it this way. But he's yeah. not here, and I'm the captain, basically, and, and I'm going to do it the way that I see fit. Um, and I thought that, that was really interesting, too. You know, and we don't really know where this would fall within the series, but if this were to fall after The Best of Both Worlds, that would make a lot of sense, right? Because you remember when, you know, Guinan had to tell him that you are the captain now. You have to make the decisions. Mm-hmm. And so at this point, he seems a little bit more confident to just make those decisions and he knows yeah i'm not going to do it the same way that picard did but i'm going to do it my way and but there's a lot we talked earlier about how it feels like there's a lot of padding and some things just go on too long i feel like the the back and forth between Riker and the derotians especially well he's always bickering with warwick right because warwick is the one who has accused Worf of killing her father, Calchas, when actually Calchas has disappeared, you know, into this other dimension as well. That kind of back and forth just goes on and on and on for too long, I feel like. It's just, it's basically, I can sum all of it up by just saying, Riker says, the Federation will never bow to your demands, your terrorists. We don't bow to the demands of terrorists. And Warwick just keeps saying, we don't care about you, Federation. You don't do anything. So we're going to kill Worf. And it just kind of goes on and on and on like that. Yeah, and it. I think that you know, as as I said just at the beginning, this is where, and I feel like an editor should have come in and said, "We only need four comics to tell the story," because the tighter it would it it would be as a story, I think the more I would have enjoyed it. Because there were parts where I kind of got bored because I had seen this scene before, but it was just being replayed. Right. One thing in these scenes, though, that was interesting to me was the conversation where Warwick talks about, uh, she brings up Earth's history post-World War III, and she says Mm -hmm. that, weren't you still fighting those elements on your world when you joined the Federation? But I thought, this is a really different situation. I mean, she can't play that card against Riker because Earth didn't join the Federation. Earth founded the Federation. And it was 200 years ago. And so... I mean, you can, like, if you want to whine about it as an applicant planet, you can say, well, you know, you guys didn't have everything figured out in the beginning either. But I don't know, that's not the situation. The reality is that was 200 years ago. The Federation is a completely different and a much more mature organization now. If you want to become part of it, you have to play by the rules that exist today. And I thought it was an interesting point for them to bring up. But it fell really flat on me, though, because it just didn't, it didn't mesh. 
Yeah. And it's, I mean, you're, you're right. You know, if, if uh, the founding members, everything's going to be a little bit different for them. And then of course, you know, they're going to set up the rules for what they feel is best for then inviting members into the group. So it might not necessarily be the same. Um, so yeah, that, that was, that didn't really necessarily work for me. You know, though, what really does, I think, work for me is I enjoyed the end, just where this ends up. I, I liked that it was really cool that the, the the couple ends up together forever in this this alternate, uh, strange, parallel place together. So at least they will exist for eternity. Hopefully they don't get sick of each other. Um, <laughs> so, uh, because there's nothing else there. But I also really liked that, that, that Picard says at the end that, uh, this does have an impact and this is gonna kind of, there's some things here that are gonna haunt us. I, I really appreciate because in some ways I saw like some seeds here for something that you would see like in generations or, um, you know, even maybe a little bit in first contact or something like that. So I really, I really appreciated that end. So planting some seeds for the characters themselves, for our characters, for our heroes that might, we might be able to kind of fill in gaps for things that we see later. Yeah. Exactly. I I was kind of mixed on the ending just because uh, I agree with you in what you say about impact on the characters. I, you know, we talk a lot at the time about how we, we like to have consequences to events in storytelling. And on that final page, as the Enterprise is leaving, and Picard says, the Federation holds no authority over independent planets, so there are no serious repercussions for the preceding few days. It, it makes you feel a little bit like, okay, I just, I just read five comics, and I get to the last page, and you're saying, you know, all the stuff that happened, eh, it doesn't really matter all that much. He says, not for the Juleshans who deceived us and attacked a patient in our care, not for the Derotians who fired on our ship and nearly executed one of our officers. And then he says, but these events shall at the very least ensure that Alios Four stays independent for the time being. And then he also talks about how the only difference being the people we have met, the information we have learned, and the things that haunt us. So it does leave you with a little bit for the characters, like you say, but for me personally, I probably would have felt a little bit better about the ending if he didn't have all that stuff in his log about how, yeah, it doesn't really matter for this planet. It doesn't really matter for either sides of the factions. All this kind of stuff that we went through was just, you know, it's just part of being in Starfleet. Oh, well, let's fly off to the next planet. Uh I was maybe not quite as keen on the ending as you were. Well, and, uh, you know, now that you mention it, um, that makes a lot of sense. I, I, the way that you put that, I, that there wouldn't be any other repercussions at all, like there really. Um, but I, if you could change, you know, the end of the comic, what do you think would work better, Chris? What would work better for you in Picard's log, do you think? Well, I think he would need something that doesn't exist in the comic towards the end. I think a lot of that padding that took place with Troy and with Riker earlier in the comic, if you could get back, you know, like two pages, one or two pages here at the end, and you could have some final 
meeting. Of course, it's TNG, so you're going to need to have a staff meeting, right? But if you can have some kind of final moment between the Juleshans and the Derotians, where they've understood that they're, they're fighting, their conflict is holding them back. And if this experience that's taking place, you know, and, and they find out that this, this ore and this energy has been fueling their conflict, that the Juleshans have been essentially assassinating the Derotian elders by using this ore energy to send them to another dimension. And they also find out that here, you know, your your application is basically shelved indefinitely. And if Picard could leave them with some seeds for those two sides to come together, and so that maybe this planet could in the future become part of the Federation, mm-hmm. and then if he were to leave and he were to say something like, the events of the past few days have at least planted the seeds for this world to come together. They have a lot to work on, but it's a start. And maybe one day they can join the Federation. I think I would have liked that a little bit better. Yeah, I, I think that you're right. I, I would have been much more interested to see. It seems like Picard himself would have been a little bit more hopeful. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that his goal would have still been to find a way to, to have these people enter the Federation or um, maybe create a relationship with them in some way that would help them overcome what they're going through. Right. Because, because it, it, that seems more like the way, you know? Yeah. Because at one point, I think it's Troy that asks him at, at one point in the comic about why are you so concerned about these people in the first place? And and Picard really just wants, you know, like to figure out what's going on and figure out what this conflict is between the two sides. And it just seems like it's in Picard's nature to try to leave them in a situation where they have a chance to come together. And... Instead, it feels like he's kind of like, yeah, I'm done with that. I got Worf back, so let's go. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what I did like about this comic, too, is that it really gave um, a lot of the main characters something to do. Um, Every main character that you see has has some good stuff. You know, we've talked a lot, you know, in the ready room, and we've made fun of Beverly, you know, not really having a lot to do. This this episode, I mean, you know, this comic series, she has a lot to do. Some great stuff. Her and Jordy working together, I thought was really interesting watching the science and the medicine come together to help solve a problem. Um, I thought it was really interesting, you know, as you talked about having, you know, Data has a small role in here, but he has something to do, and it fits who he is as a character. Worf the same way. Uh, I really liked all that we get to see of Riker. Um, I think probably we talked about the most... Maybe annoying person was was Troy, but she's actually you know still needed. Her her gifts are still actually used in a way that makes sense. So all in all, I, I really think this is a, a generally a, a good Star Trek: The Next Generation story. Speaking of Riker, did you notice when he beamed over to the Juleshan ship and he starts checking out the crew because apparently the whole crew or most of the crew are female because. The Juleshan females have an aptitude for mechanics. Yes, I thought that was really <laughs> funny. He's like, some crew you got there. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, uh, that was... <laughs> then he walks over, he pops <laughs> yeah. his leg up on that exactly. big round thing that has the ore in it. And he's like, you know, I'm the first officer of that ship over there. And right now I'm acting captain. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I, I was, uh, I was just waiting for him to prop up his leg and be like, so how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the most interesting man in the universe. That's right. Uh, my beard has more experience than any Q ever will have. <laughs> just so you know, ladies. Don't know who the Q are? Oh, crap. Um, let me think. Uh, oh, yes. Women all around the galaxy who I've never met subspace me and tell me they've had my child. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's our Riker. All right. Well, what's your final summary your final thoughts your rating for this comic well that's a good question i was i was i was thinking about this a lot um one artwork some of the artwork really works here but as with the deep space nine characters i also think that some of the artwork here doesn't capture the characters right troy is never right um i don't think Riker really ever looks right there are some scenes with Picard that are really good, but then there are some that aren't. The characters I think that look the best are are, are Jordy and Crusher. Actually, they they most mm-hmm. I think resemble their characters um, throughout the the comic. But on a whole, I I enjoyed uh, the artwork, and so I'd, I'd probably give it like a B minus um, because the characters aren't consistent enough for me. Now, story wise, we already talked about that. I felt like. This comic should have been a an issue shorter, um, and if it had been, I probably would give this an A, A plus. Um, I'm going to give it a B. Um, I think it's definitely worth reading. I think it feels like a Next Generation episode. I just feel like it's been drawn out a little bit too long, and, and some of the scenes are a little bit repetitive, and then some of the themes don't naturally just kind of work together the way they want it to. So, but all that said. You know, this is no Voyager comic series that we did. I would definitely rank it above all of the Voyager comics that we read together with Tristan, um, which I'm still apologizing <laughs> to Tristan for. Tristan's like, what did you guys get me into? I know. I feel <laughs> so bad, you know, because I was so excited. I, you know, we were going to have Tristan on. We were going to talk about Voyager comics. And then we got Avalon Rising. So I think, you know, uh, this comes in a great collection on Comixology for nine ninety nine. Um, it comes all together. It has great artwork at the at the end, uh, which yeah, has an really artwork liked, gallery at the end. Yeah, very, beautiful. which is very nice, very good. So yeah, I I think that this is definitely if you like Star Trek: The Next Generation, you enjoy the characters, and um, you also just enjoy a, a good story that would fit mostly within what you'd see maybe in fourth, fifth, sixth season. This is definitely well worth getting. What about you, Chris? Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with you. Um, I think for me, the artwork, yeah, it's. I think the character likenesses were better than the ones in the DS9 comics that we did last week. At least here, I could tell who it was. You know, there there were some times last week where I just wasn't even sure who this character was supposed to be that I was looking at. So it was better than that. But yeah, the, the likenesses are not as spot on as they could be not and not like we're accustomed to in some of the mm-hmm. more recent Star Trek comics. But, but, but the artwork is good overall and the story's good. We've already talked about how it feels like it's stretched out a little bit too far. I agree with you. It should have been four comics, not five. I think for me, for both the artwork and the story, I am going to give this 
eight bolts of Zor energy, which in human terms oh, equates to a B, a rating of B. All right. So, well, let's tell everyone where to contact us if they would like to share their thoughts on ghosts, if they've read it, maybe they've gone to read it before listening to the show, or maybe they have thoughts on some of the things we talked about news today. You can go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose literary treks, and that will come to Matthew and me by email. If you'd like to send us a voicemail, you can easily do that from any page on the website. Just look along the right-hand side. You'll see a large tab that says send voicemail. If you click that, a box will pop up. And you can use your webcam's microphone to record an audio message for us, and you can upload it to us as an MP3 file. If you'd like to join in a larger discussion, drop by our forums at trek.fm forums, where you can talk to us, the rest of the Trek FM crew, and other listeners. There's a section there for books and comics, and one for literary treks. And if you're on Facebook, you'll find us at facebook.com slash trek.fm, and you'll always find us tweeting away about Star Trek all the time on Twitter under username trek.fm. And Matthew, I believe people can find you on Twitter as well. Where should they look? Oh, it's it's not a secret, Chris. Uh, you can find me at MattRushing02. I mean, I just literally put my name in the Twitter handle, <laughs> so it's not like it's a secret. You can find me there. Um, you know, I, I've had such a busy summer, I haven't gotten a tweet a whole lot. Um, and so forgive me, friends, for being absent. Uh, I've literally had every night, I feel like, taken up with something uh, and then, of course, days, work, vacations, uh, all sorts of things. But hope to be tweeting a little bit more soon um, and really enjoy the conversations that I get to have with people there. Also, if you if you just enjoy um, just learning more about people, you can, I got my own website, 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Um, I do movie reviews, book reviews, talk about just personal things or, or just things that I'm thinking about and all that. And then, of course, um, Chris, we also do... The Orb, where we talk about Deep Space Nine all the time, and um, I can't imagine a more fun show to get to do. It's my favorite Star Trek series, and so if you need to be talked into loving Deep Space Nine, I think Chris and I are the people to be able to do that for you, so join us there. <laughs> now, Chris, when you're not phasing in and out of this weird Zor energy you know, continuum place, where can people find you? Yeah, that, that is a problem that I face quite often. But if you want to find most of me, you can find me on Twitter. My username there is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. And then if you want to find my arm and my leg and a little bit of my stomach that's missing, you know, displaced in another dimension, you can find that over on my personal website at cbrianjones.com. So I'm kind of split in between those two places, kind of like Everrude. He's a nice guy, don't get me wrong. And just like him, I'm I'm split between two places as well. You can also find me, of course, besides on The Orb and Literary Treks with Matthew. You can find me every week on The Ready Room, where we talk about all five live-action Star Trek series. And you can also find me each week on Warp 5 with Kate Walsh, where we talk about Enterprise. And speaking of those shows, Matthew, you know, TNG Comics these other shows. It's not the only thing we've been talking about on Trek of Film last week. So let's give everyone a quick little preview of what else you may have missed on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, The Orb. DS9 Season 2. I don't want characters to be driven by the plot of the show. I want the show to be driven by the plot of the character. The Ready Room. The Nth Degree. And, and, and I feel like he paved the way 
four neurotic Starfleet characters, so we got Hoshi in Enterprise. So I think we we can uh, thank Barkley for for allowing us to accept neurotic characters in Starfleet. Decade. The state of STO. I think they're going to see some videos in the game soon, so hide your organs, guys. Hide your organs. <laughs> to the journey! Tough love. Janeway is really tough on Harry in this episode. She orders him to break up with his girlfriend. Commentary, Trek stars. I am legend. It's it really also, doesn't. it also inexplicably, suddenly, in the middle of this thing that even in all of its versions, never had magic. Warp 5. The Sulaban. We could have learnt so much more about the Sulaban as a race, but we also probably could have learnt more about the Sulaban Cabal. Trek news and views. Voyager season seven. This is the thing. It's, it's, I know the Doctor is created in the image of Zimmerman and Zimmerman's bold and blah blah blah. But surely to God, if you was creating an alter ego of yourself, you would give yourself hair. Literary treks. Fool's gold. One flaw in Kira's plan here, though, she comes in, she grabs Quart by the collar, and she yanks him, and she's screaming at him. We know from past history in DS9 that when Kira does this, all it does is turn Quark on. That's true. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check all of those out. We have new Star Trek talk for you every day of the week. Some days we have two shows for you, and you can get links to everywhere, all the different ways you can listen to the shows by going to trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory. And we recently, Matthew, got all of our shows into the Xbox and Zune directory with Microsoft. And we also are now on TuneIn. So you can use the Android or iPhone apps for TuneIn or the website to stream our shows there as well. So go check those out. Also, Matthew, before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsors for this week's show. Your support of our sponsors is very important for helping us bring literary treks to you each week. The first sponsor is Squarespace, the web's best hosting and CMS that makes it simple for you to create a beautiful blog, website, portfolio, online store, anything you can imagine. I'd love for you to go create your own space today. I promise you're going to love it. Go to squarespace.com for your free 14-day trial and then use offer code TREK7 to save 10% off your lifetime purchase on new accounts. And if you choose the annual option, you can get a free custom domain registration as well. So go over to squarespace.com and we thank Squarespace for their support of literary treks. Also, please visit trekfan.org. Trekfan is an amazing chance for you to come together with fans to do more than just talk about Star Trek. We all love to talk about Star Trek, but you know, if we just sit here and talk all the time, we're never going to get to that Star Trek future. We're never going to build a warp drive. We're never going to build transporters. We're never going to be able to figure out why we're phasing in between our own space time and another dimension. So if you want to help figure that out, go to trekfan.org. You'll be collaborating with other fans to solve puzzles and complete real life mission objectives. And along the way, you'll win great prizes. So turn your love for Star Trek into something that can help us move towards that Star Trek future. Support us and Trekfan by visiting trekfan.org. Solve that first puzzle and take the next step on your adventure. And lastly, if you would personally like to support the network and our programming, we have a way that you can do that now as well. Visit trek.fm slash donate. We have eight new alien-themed badges as a thank you for your contribution, and they are perfect for your shirt, for your bag, for your dress uniform, even, you know, to patch that little spot on your stomach that's missing in another dimension. Hopefully that won't happen to you. 
But either way, go get your badges. They're 44mm badges with original illustration by Tobu Ushi, who does most of the artwork that you see on our website. We also have art prints that you can get now as well. They're beautiful A6 size prints, larger views of the aliens. Those are at trek.fm slash donate. And your donations help us cover the costs of production, storage, and bandwidth needed to bring literary treks to you each week. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.